You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Pastor Jason, it's a joy to be with you on this first Sunday in the series of, of Faith Questions. Today, uh, we're going to be dealing with the question, what is God like? Now, some of you may know that I like books. I like theology books. One of my favorite theology books is a little book called God's uh, Children's Letters to God. I don't know if you've ever seen anything. The reason I like that, that book is because it's got a lot of pictures in it, and it's got cartoon characters, a lot of things like that. That's It's one of the ways that I first began to read and encounter um, God's story. Actually, early in my life was through some, through some cartoon books. So uh, one of the things I like about <clears throat> these, these children's letters to God is that they're real, they're audacious, they're bold, they're authentic. They reflect the things that are happening in the lives of kids as they reflect on who God is and what God's up to. So uh, thinking about the number of questions that we're going to be dealing with in this series, I flipped through that book to see some, how some of those questions lined up. And, and so some of those questions that we came across are like this. Some questions, kids, dear God, I'd like to know why all the things you said are in red. Joanne, good question. Uh, why, why is that? Here's this next one. Dear God, my brother is a rat. You should give him a tail. Ha ha. Danny. Now, if anybody, if you've got anybody in your life like that, but... Uh, there it is. Dear God, my grandpa says, you were around when he was a little boy. How far back do you go? You know, those questions are humorous, right? And, and, and they make us laugh. I had the joy of walking through that book with, with Erevis, my daughter, my oldest daughter this week, and she just laughed as we turned the pages. But there's something about the reality that those questions are, are real questions. And we might, we might have the capacity to ask some of our faith questions in a more sophisticated manner. But the questions that those kids carry are similar to the questions we carry and questions that that we ask from time to time in certain places. Over the next several weeks, it's our intention that we would take these faith questions that are real, that all of us have, and we'd put them out there in front of us. And we begin to answer some of the deep and persistent questions that each and every one of us carry, that the human race carries, about who God is and who we're made to be and how we're made to live, how we can really know God. Well, today we're going to um, deal with the question, how do we know who God is? Traditionally, over, over human history, the church and the scriptures have said to those of us who follow after Christ and to the world, actually, to, to everyone, we made a proclamation that there are four unique ways that we see God speaking to us and letting us know who he is. 
The first is that through natural revelation. God lets us know who he is through natural revelation. Another way that God lets us know who he is is through special revelation. Next week, we're going to take a look at the scriptures and see how the scriptures speak to us. Another way that God speaks to us is through the revelation of Jesus Christ, the incarnate word. And lastly, and we'll look at uh, three of these today, the Holy Spirit, the active witness of God present to us now. And in all reality, all those things are present to us. So we're going to look at natural revelation, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, the witness of God to us right now in our time together today. Before I go any further, I would just like to invite you to come to the class. Pastor Jim talked about the class that's going to be taking place on Wednesday nights. In, in that class, we're going to be looking deeper at some of these things that we talk about on Sunday morning. And some of you are, uh, the class is really designed for, for lots of us in, in a lot of different places. But some of the people that have really been on my heart, who I think may really benefit from that class, are those of you who are parents. Because you're the, you're the leader in your little community of your family. And you have all kinds of questions that come to you throughout the day. And the kids that are in your family, they look to you not only as their provider, but as somebody who, who can actually give them the answers to the questions that they have. And so if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, I want to encourage you to come be a part of that class as we look at these questions as we go deeper in the faith. Well, first we're going to look at at these answers, the natural revelation of God. The writer of Ecclesiastes, the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, was like a writer that you can find in almost any other culture in time. The writer was looking for a sense of of trying to understand what's a meaningful, impactful life. What is a life that has significance and weight to it? And as the writer began to think about all of those things, I mean, he wrote or she wrote a number of of things down, thinking about life. And one of the things that the writer said is this, God has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God, the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. That first line there, God has planted eternity in the human heart, reflects a reality that that writers in every culture have understood and they've projected. Each and every one of us, we have it in our own heart, in our own mind, a concept of of a way to fill in a word like beauty. What is beauty to you? What is truth? What is good? What is right? If you were to define that for for somebody, you'd, you'd have a sense of capacity within you to begin to give a sense of definition. And those definitions, they come from our uh, a deep place within us. They don't come from, you know, the things that we interact with every day in terms of what we have to do, but they come from our, our reflection upon the meaning and the significance of life. And the writer, much like a lot of other writers, said there is within all of our hearts this longing for meaning, this longing for beauty, for truth, this longing to make sense of the world that we live in. And it's in there, the writer says, because God has planted it. God has placed within us this this longing to know our source of life and if there's a way to connect to the source of life. Now, with that 
baseline from the, the writer of Ecclesiastes. As we look out at, at the world religions, a number, of, a number of world religions would say to us, all of us have that yearning, that desire. And because we have that yearning, that desire to make sense of meaning, to understand the world, a number of us go looking for God. We go looking for the source of life. We go looking for, for a way to connect to the divine. And sometimes we really don't know how to do that. It's almost as if each and every one of us have to ha feel the weight of that question, you know, like, what, why am I here and what am I made for? And then we go on a search. And maybe we run into other people who are wise and sage people, and they can point us in the right direction. But at the end of the day, it's almost like all of us are in a, in a black cave. We may not, in fact, know if we're headed in the right direction. And some would suggest that it's just all about the journey. You never really know if you wind up at the right place or not. It's all about the journey. But you feel the, the weight of the question inside. Judaism, Islam, and Christianity have a different proposal, a different answer, a different voice to that question about where is this sense of eternity? Where is it leading me? In, in Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, there is this assertion that God has made us and that we are made to know God and that God has left a witness of himself in the world. God has made a witness through a couple different things. He's left a witness through nature and he's left a witness through our sense of what is right and wrong, our moral being, our moral sense that's, that's within us. We might call it our conscience. The psalmist talks about how um, when he goes out she goes out, and they look at the stars up in the heavens, and they begin to wonder, and as they look into the vastness of all creation, or maybe even as they look at the incredible feature of a flower, or a bee, or a hummingbird, there's something incredible, and powerful, and mysterious about what is in front of them, that there is something divine about that reality. So the psalmist will oftentimes point us to the reality that nature has a witness of who God is, that God, that God has got this brilliance of design and power. The one thing about nature, though, for however spectacular we find it, for however mysterious and wonderful it is, there are times when nature is ruthless and so powerful that it overwhelms. Have any of you ever been in a hurricane or a tornado? I mean, for the most for the most part, we find that nature is, is brilliant and it's, it's beautiful. But then there are these moments when nature seems fierce and ferocious and can tear things apart. So there has to be something more than just nature that speaks to us. Immanuel Kant, the philosopher, said that he suggested that, that God makes himself known to us through nature and the moral law through our conscience. I remember as a kid being in Mr. Lacer's grocery store. It was the only grocery store in the, in the little town where I grew up. And taking a candy bar off the shelf, you know. And I knew my mom wasn't going to let me have that candy bar. She wasn't going to pay for it. So I just stuck it in my pocket and walked out the door. In the back of my mind, there was my conscience speaking to me. I don't know if you've ever had that conscience speak to you. Something about what's going on here isn't quite right, but it's like, where in the world does that conscience come from? 
And where in the world does that conscience come from that continues to stay with you throughout all of your life? Even now, when there are moments, if I'm in a conversation and I tell and I'm conveying to somebody what I understand is the truth or I'm speaking the truth and yet I don't necessarily say all that is true and the conscience is back there, the voice that says, are you speaking everything that's true? Where does that come from? Scriptures tell us that God has planted his revelation of himself, his sense of his wonder and power, a sense of, of a conscience. He's planted it within the fabric of creation, and his fingerprints are all over the fabric of our consciences. And in those ways, we can begin to see God and interact with God. And yet the Apostle Paul says that even though God has planted pictures of himself emblems of himself, places where we can begin to see him within creation and in our consciences, though because of the work of sin, we don't see God quite right. We mistake things about God. We begin to imagine God in our own image. Paul's got a, a word for that in the book of Romans. Um, uh, it's, it's actually after that passage from 120. He talks about how, how we begin to make God in our own image I like to listen to country music every now and again. And I don't know if, if you like country music, but I've begun to notice that songs about heaven reflect what Paul talks about. When, when I'm listening to country music and, and something comes on and, and they've got this song about what it's going to be like to go to heaven. Have you ever thought about those songs? Like not just bebop the long term, but have you ever thought about what they're saying? I went back and I listened to a couple this, this past week and it was almost like they were saying to us that whatever we think or anticipate is our best life now, whatever we really like in life at the present moment, that's what heaven's going to be like. It's like we're judging what heaven is or what God is like from this experience. Jesus, when he walked in our world, came alongside of us and he said, Sometimes we don't see things the way we really should. Sometimes we take our experiences now and we put them over up to God. But Jesus came alongside and he said, the Father wants you to know him and I'm here to let the Father be revealed, let the Father be known. In fact, after, near the end of his ministry, Jesus was gathered with his disciples. He was beginning to tell them that he was going to return to the Father and and his disciples looked at him and they said, Jesus, why don't you just show us the Father? You've been talking about the Father. You've been talking about who God is. We've been around you for some time, but why don't you just show us who the Father is? And Jesus said these words in John chapter 14. He said, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Jesus said this, have I been with you all this time, Philip? and yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work that you've seen me do. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, anyone who believes in me will do the same works as I have done in even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. Jesus 
the witness of the New Testament tells us is the one who is the, he's the one who bears the image of God. He's the very witness of the Father. He's the face of the Father. In fact, Jesus in his own words tells us that if we want to see what God is like, we have to look to him. If someone were to come up to you and ask you, what do you believe about God? Would you, would you say that you believe that God is forgiving? If you believe that God is forgiving, why is it that you believe that? Isn't it that from time to time you've heard about Jesus who extends forgiveness to those who are around him? And that your sense of beginning to understand who God is is because Jesus is one who reveals to us that God is forgiving. Or would you say that God cares about widows and orphans? Would you say that God cares about the marginalized? Why would you say that? Is it because that when you hear the stories about Jesus, that Jesus comes alongside of those who are often on the outskirts of society and that he cares for people who are, are left out? Would you say that God cares about evil and that God is going to triumph over evil and over death? How do you come to that conclusion? Isn't it because that when we look at the pages and the stories and the picture of Jesus, that we find that Jesus is unconcerned about, about what everybody thinks and he's concerned about truthfulness? And wouldn't, wouldn't you say that it's because Jesus has this passion to set things right. And in fact, in his death and resurrection from the grave, we see somebody who overcomes evil, overcomes the ultimate evil, and that is death. We see this in these pictures in Jesus. Because Jesus says, I've come into this world so that you might know the Father. That you wouldn't have to guess, that you wouldn't have to wonder that you wouldn't have to poke around as if you live in a world that's just dark, but that you could see the light, that God's light could be present to you, present to all of us. Well, just as Jesus was speaking about returning to the Father, he said to his disciples at one point, he said, I'm going to return to the Father, and I won't be with you. But God's passion and God's desire is that you would know him. And so the Father's going to send another witness, somebody else who will remind you of who I am. The Father's going to send the Spirit. And the Spirit's going to be active to you, available to us, present in our lives. So the Apostle Paul, over in the book of Romans, writes this about the Holy Spirit. He says, so you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, God's Spirit's been poured out. And he's adopted you as his own children. And now we are able to call him Abba, Father. For the Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we're God's children. And since we're his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we get to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. The Apostle Paul says, he points this, this out to us throughout the book of Romans. That in creation and in our conscience, there's a witness about who God is in our world. A witness to us. A witness to all of creation. In the person of Christ, there's a witness of who God is. And he begins to share with us 
picture of the Father, Jesus does. And then the Holy Spirit comes. And he begins to speak into our own life. He talks to us about who we are. That we get to be, that we're made to be the children of God. Adopted children of God. That we can be in relationship with God. And that the witness of God is present to us everywhere we go. I don't know if you followed the memorial services for John McCain that, that took place a couple weeks ago. But as I was listening to those stories and different anecdotes from John McCain's life, one of the stories that, that they talked about was the, was the fact that John McCain was a prisoner of war for five years in North Vietnam. And John McCain had grown up in an Episcopal church, and he'd grown up hearing the stories of Jesus. And yet John <clears throat> had gone away from the faith for a while as a, as a young Navy pilot. But as he was in that cell, and as himself and other prisoners were looking for words of comfort and encouragement, the Spirit began to provoke in John McCain's heart and in his mind the stories that he had heard as a boy, as a teenager, growing up in an Episcopal church, what he had read within Scripture. And the Spirit began to bring those stories back into his mind to remind him of what Jesus had said and what Jesus had done. So John McCain would take those stories and he'd put them out and he'd recount those passages of Scripture the best that he could, the power of the Spirit. And in that moment, in that place, the stories weren't just a story of something that happened in history, but they were the story that God was present to the people who were gathered in that place where McCain was at. That God was present the hope, encouragement, calling for faith. God was giving life in the place of the now. So how is it that God makes himself known to us? He makes himself known in, in nature and in our consciences. He makes himself known through the person and the work and through the words of Jesus. He makes himself known to us and to the world through the ministry and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Some of us, some of us are at a place in life where we hear all that and we go, okay, but I don't know that I really know who God is. In fact, I don't know that God's ever really come alive to me. Some of us, were still searching we were going to define our lives, we might say we feel like we're in a black box. And we look, but we don't really see the light of Christ. We don't see the light. We don't have the certainty that other people do that, that we rub shoulders with. If you find yourself in that place, I want to encourage you this morning to be somebody who looks. To be somebody who looks for the witness of God in your world. Be somebody who, who looks at nature and wonders, where's the fingerprint of God at? To be somebody who opens up your, your mind and your heart and pays attention to your conscience. I want to encourage you, as St. Augustine was, before he was ever called a saint, he was a searcher. And then at one point in his life, he heard somebody say to him, take up and read. He didn't know where the voice was coming from, but a voice said to him, take up and read. 
And so St. Augustine had to go to the scriptures and he had to open up the Bible and he began to interact with the stories of God. When I was a 15-year-old boy, growing up in a church, said I was a Christian, but really had no idea what that meant. I'd heard some of the stories of God, but I hadn't heard them all. I relied on the faith of somebody else. I relied on the stories of somebody else. I relied on the activity of God in somebody else's life. But I hadn't done anything to investigate myself. And so I heard a story like St. Augustine's or a voice somewhere. It just said, take up and read. So the first place I went to was the book of Leviticus. Weirdest place you could go, I'm just telling you. And after a while, I just said, I can't make sense of this. I think maybe I ought to turn to the Gospels. And so that's where I went. I read the stories of Jesus. They weren't just stories. They weren't stories that just somebody talked about in church. They were stories that came alive. And the one who walked in Galilee began to walk in my life. Began to walk in my heart. So if you're in that place, maybe you've gone to church for a long time, but Jesus isn't alive to you. Take up and read. Pray a prayer. Jesus, show me yourself. Other people believe that you speak and that you show yourself. Show me yourself because I can't live without you. Show me yourself. And some of you here, you believe all that stuff, right? When we sang that early song and it was a confession of faith and the Apostles' Creed is in it, we sang the song and it had the Lord's Prayer in it. You've memorized those things. Those things are deep inside of you. And you're like, yep, I believe it all. And yet the truth of the matter is your sense of faith, your sense of belief is is stuck. It's stuck in a place, and, and if you were to really be honest, you would say, I don't know that I've really grown in any measure for some time. The writer of Ecclesiastes that we looked at first, he said, you know what, God has planted eternity in our hearts. And he said this other thing, he said, if we were to try and understand the full measure of God, we couldn't do it because God's, God's sense of who he is is beyond anything our our minds can imagine, our hearts can grasp. Friends, some of us, we've accepted a few confessions of faith, a few prayers, and we've thought that's enough, it's never enough. There is more to God than we can begin to imagine or dream about. And some of us, we've gone so far, but we need to hear God saying, follow me, walk close to me. Don't go so far and stop. Don't go so far and be done Keep following after me. We need to look for God's voice, active and present to us right now. A couple of weeks ago, my wife, Anna, and I, we were getting ready for a run. And in the middle of the night, we heard a dog bark close to our house. Now, neighbors on both sides of us have dogs, and occasionally the neighbor on the south side of us, their dog will come over into our yard. And so we thought for just a moment, 
that the neighbor's dog was around our house. But at 7 o'clock, when I opened our north door and looked down at the bottom of our steps, there was this dog, Percy, who was there. And Percy greeted me with a, a bark, a yelp, and then his tongue just sort of flopped out of his mouth. Percy has not left our place. We've left him untied at night. We thought that the wind, you know, kind of blew him in. And the wind may blow him out, but Percy doesn't leave. The last couple mornings, about 5.30 in the morning, he's decided not only is he a dog, but he's a rooster. And he's going to begin barking. Doesn't make everybody happy. In my own heart, in my own spirit, every time I go out and I greet Percy, and Percy greets me with an inordinate amount of affection. At the place where I'm at in my own life, I'm being reminded of a constant basis that God's love for me and the world is bigger than I can think of or imagine. And God's love for me doesn't really depend upon my love for him in return, although he longs for it. Like Percy longs to be petted up one side and down the other. But whether I do that or not, Percy is there to jump up and to give me a hug. It's like the hug that I need this time in my life. See, friends, in creation, in our conscience, in the witness of Christ, in the witness of what the Holy Spirit brings into our life, God speaks to us if we're open, open to receive it.